Uh, today's scripture passage is this passage from the gospel according to Luke, the sixth uh, chapter, uh, verse 17 through 26. And the title of the sermon today is The Blessing That Counts. The Blessing That Counts. There's an old parable in the Jewish tradition about a Jewish farmer who is visited by the great prophet Elijah. Now, I probably don't have to remind you, but to our Jewish sisters and brothers, Elijah is a pretty big deal. I mean, Elijah is the one that our Jewish brothers and sisters believe will be the precursor to their long-awaited Messiah. And because they're aware that Elijah might just show up at any place and at any time, whenever there are significant religious observances in the Jewish tradition, oftentimes you will find that they have left an empty seat at the table just in case Elijah should return. Or if for no other reason to remind them that Elijah will show up one day unexpected. And so in this Jewish parable about um, Elijah going to visit this Jewish farmer, Elijah takes with him a young rabbi. This young rabbi wants to see exactly how Elijah hands out divine justice to other people. And so in this parable, uh, Elijah and this young rabbi, they disguise themselves as poor and weary travelers. And they make their way to the farm of this Jewish man. And when they get to the farm, this Jewish man immediately banishes them to the barn. He gives them bread and water for their supper. And, and he just tells them that he really doesn't have time right now for unexpected guests like Elijah and the young rabbi because he is going to be digging a well the following morning and he needs to get a good night's sleep. Well, that night may have been a good night's sleep for the farmer, but according to the parable for Elijah, it was a cold and sleepless night. And very early the next morning, Elijah gets up and he goes outside the barn and he begins to dig that well for the Jewish farmer. When the Young rabbi wakes up and realizes what's going on. He goes out to the great prophet Elijah and he says, Why in the world are you blessing this old farmer by digging his well for him? He has been a cruel and heartless host. He has violated all of the sacred laws of hospitality of our faith. Why would you dig the well for him and give him this blessing? And Elijah looked at the young rabbi and said, well, I, no pun intended there, I didn't really mean to do that well, um, 
Yeah, sometimes it takes a few. You just stick with me, you'll laugh. Um, Elijah says, I did dig the well. I am digging the well. Uh, but, and, and, this, and this well I'm digging, yeah, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have good, sweet water for generations after generation. But I'm not digging the well in the same place that the farmer planned to dig the well. And what you may not know is that where the farmer planned to dig the well, just a few feet underground is a hidden treasure. And because I'm digging the well where I'm digging the well and not digging the well where the farmer planned to dig the well, it will be hundreds and hundreds of years before anyone recognizes and realizes that there's treasure right there. And this old farmer, he'll be dead long gone and in the grave. And then the parable ends with the prophet Elijah saying, what seems like a blessing isn't always a blessing. That phrase, what seems like a blessing isn't always a blessing, feels like a pretty good synopsis of the story that we've just heard this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about blessings, uh, if you're rich, if you've got plenty of food to eat, if you are happy and joyful and laughing all the time, if you're well-liked, if you're well-regarded, if you're well-respected, in my book, you are blessed. And yet, Jesus seems to be saying that what seems like a blessing isn't always a blessing. In our scripture lesson this morning, right before the passage that we read, Jesus has been up on the mountaintop. And one of the things that I love about Luke when he's writing his gospel is that he gives you these little clues all the time that kind of lets you see behind the veil a little bit. And for Luke, whenever somebody is on the mountain, there's always going to be praying going on. And so Jesus has been up on the mountaintop and he has been there praying all night long. And at daybreak, Jesus gets up from his time of prayer and he begins to go and handpick his 12 apostles, his main assistants, his confidants, perhaps even many of them his closest friends, his students. He has handpicked these 12 people. And after he picks these 12 people, then Jesus, much like Moses did after he'd received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, begins to go back down the mountain where he is going to engage with the crowds that are gathered below. And again, when Jesus gets down to those crowds, Luke gives us just a few theological clues that you might miss if you're not paying attention. 
The first theological clue that Luke gives is that when he gets down there, that there are, the crowd is made up from people from all over Judea and all over Jerusalem and from places like Tyre and Sidon, which are along the coast. It's as if Luke is trying to say, even though Jesus just handpicked 12 people to be his apostles, his closest friends, his confidants, his assistants in ministry, make no mistake about it, Jesus didn't come just for a chosen few. Jesus came for everyone. Uh, his mission and ministry is for all. For people all over Jerusalem, Judea, Tyre, Sidon, all over the then known world. And then the second theological clue that I think Luke gives us about what's going on here, it says that when Jesus got down to the bottom of the mountain, He made sure that He was on the same level ground, on the same level as all of the crowds that he was with. It's Luke's way of saying that, that this is the same Jesus who, who left his lofty position in heaven to come and dwell among us here on earth. This same Jesus came to meet us exactly where we are. And so he's on level ground with the crowds. And we're told that he began to heal the crowds. He began to teach the crowds. And, and that he began to exercise demons uh, that some of the people in the crowd were possessed by. And then we're told that after uh, Jesus taught, after he healed, after he exercised the demons, Luke says that he looked up at the disciples. Now, now maybe he looked up at the apostles because he was down on the ground when he was healing. He was down on the ground when he was exorcising demons. He was down on the ground when he was teaching. But maybe, maybe Jesus looked up to the apostles is because they didn't find themselves on the same level ground as everybody else in that crowd. Maybe those apostles actually were looking down on the people that Jesus was ministering to that day. And Jesus began to teach them. And the essence of what Jesus began to teach them is that I want you to see this crowd the way that I see this crowd. And maybe Jesus was afraid that they didn't see the crowd in the same way that he saw the crowd because they were looking down on the crowd. And Jesus begins to teach that the poor, that the hungry, that the excluded, those people in the mind and the eyes of Jesus are blessed. Now, how could Jesus say that? 
I mean, how could Jesus really believe that the poor and the hungry and the excluded and the people that are sad, that, all, that those people are actually blessed? I mean, you and I have found ourselves in those situations from time to time. Maybe we felt excluded. Maybe we felt sad. Maybe we felt poor in some way or another. And we tried desperately to do everything that we could to get out of those situations. So why in the world would Jesus say that those persons experiencing things like that are actually blessed? Well, the first clue for us might have been uh, what Luke described for us just a few chapters before this. When Jesus went back to Nazareth and He stood up in the synagogue and He picked up a scroll and He unrolled the scroll and He found this one particular place in the scroll where He said this. He said that, um, I came because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I'm going to preach good news to the poor. I'm going to replace, uh, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, I am going to liberate the oppressed. I am going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has a special place in His heart for people who are poor, for people who are hungry, for people who are sad, for people who have been left out on the margins. Jesus says the kingdom of God is especially for people like that. And make no mistake about it, he is looking at the disciples, the closest of his confidants, when he's teaching this message. He wants them to know that the kingdom of God belongs to those people that they're looking down on. The people that are poor, the people that are blind, the people that are sad, the people who feel excluded, the people who are hungry. He wants his closest followers to know that. But he also wants everybody in that crowd behind him to know it too. And then he gets to the point of the sermon, I think. That point where essentially he says, that which seems like a blessing isn't, really, isn't always a blessing after all. He says, woe to the rich. Woe to the people who are well fed. Woe to the people who are happy and joyful. Because while it seems like you're really blessed, there's a chance that you may not be blessed after all. It's sort of like... Uh, you know, I get excited about the Super Bowl as much for the commercials. It's the only time of the year I watch commercials. There's that old beer commercial. You remember that old, can I talk about a beer commercial in church? Um, there's that old beer commercial where there's this group of guys and they're sitting out beside a flowing stream. And there's got a nice big fire there. And they've got some food on the fire. And there's a beautiful sunset. And there's canoes all around them. And one of those guys just cracks the top of a can and says, it doesn't get any better than this. Really? It doesn't get any better than Drinking cheap beer when there's a sunset that you could see however many times a year 
where there's food, where you could eat pretty much any time you really wanted to, you think that's a blessing? Well, it might seem like a blessing, but what seems like a blessing may not be the best kind of blessing after all. And that's kind of what Luke is getting at in this chapter. He goes on to tell us several more stories to try to drive the point home. One is in Luke chapter 12. It's about a rich man who's got this abundant crop. He's got so much stuff that he can't possibly uh, take, eat it all himself. And so what he decides to do is build these huge storehouses. He's going to put all of the extra of that abundant crop in the storehouse so that his future is secure, so that he will be blessed. And guess what happens? That man dies that very night. Then there's a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 14 where this man is throwing this great banquet. It's a parable. We're meant to see uh, God as being representative of this man. This, this man throws this huge banquet. He invites a lot of people to come, but a lot of people refuse to come because they're more focused on their own possessions. And because they're more focused on their own possessions than they are on God, they miss the greater blessing of being able to spend time in communion with God. And then in Luke chapter 16, there's this man who spent his whole life ignoring the poor, and then he dies. And guess what he finds out in death? He finds out when he dies that in glory, in the hereafter, that the poor have a VIP seat in God's kingdom while he is far away and removed from God, he missed a bigger blessing because of his neglect of the poor throughout his whole life. Jesus didn't say that being rich is bad. Jesus well knew how important it was for people to have money and to be generous with their money. I mean, Jesus couldn't have done His ministry without the financial support of people that kept them clothed and kept them fed and, and kept them sheltered because He asked everybody to leave everything to go and be faithful to Him. And then there are stories in the Bible of people like Zacchaeus who, who made a lot of money off, off of scamming and a lot of people, but when he repented and he began to give away that money and he began to use that money that he had gained to bless the lives of other people. I think what Jesus is saying here is that what we sometimes seems like a blessing is not always a blessing. And the blessing that really counts at least according to Luke's Gospel and to Jesus, is to see like Jesus sees. To love like Jesus loves. To bless like Jesus blesses. He's reminding us not to cling to what seems like a blessing, so that we miss what can really be a blessing.